your Bibles with me again this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We are going to begin here in the book of Hebrews, but we are by no means going to stay here. Is that better? Alright. We're not going to stay here in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to uh, bounce around, especially when it gets to our second point of our message. Now, the idea that we're looking at is part two of what we started last week. What is our purpose as a church? Uh, and the questions are, why are we here? Why are we here? I mean, as you look around this room, why are we here? Personally. Why are we here as a church? What are we doing? What is our purpose? As you look around this room, what is it that we are supposed to be about? Or what is it that we are not doing, but that we must start doing? That makes us fulfill the roles that Christ has commanded of us. The chief question this morning is, do we believe what Christ said? I guess not. I can say amen and we're done. Do we believe what Christ said? Yes, absolutely. When He said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it, do you believe that? Yes, we ought to believe that. And we're going to briefly look at that in a moment, but one of the things that we must understand is that the idea that Matthew has as he's writing that and as Jesus is speaking is that Satan is on the defense. We are on the offense. When you look out at the world today, is that what the church looks like? Not as a whole. What about Goodland Bible Church? Are we on the defense or are we on the offense? Are we taking the gospel to the gates of hell or are the gates of hell prevailing against us? You see, if we believe what Christ said, then Satan is the one on the defense. He is running. He is covering himself up. He is trying to protect and save as much as he possibly can. And yet we don't act like it. And we ought to act like it. If you believe that Christ said, then will you agree that we ought to conduct ourselves in a manner and in the practice that he commands? Amen. Are we done? (laughs) Do you believe that if Christ said, he is going to make sure that the church does not lose against the gates of hell, that we indeed are going to prevail against it, that when He gives us a list of things we ought to do, we ought to follow them. Do you agree with that? Okay, good. I thought I was going to St. Francis here. If we are, if so, if we are committed to preserve life, to to procreate as believers, to passionately minister to each other and vice versa, then we will learn what it means to follow Christ. That is our purpose. This is all done not for your own glory, not for your own rising in status or hearing, well done, good job, we thank you for your ministry. This is all done for the glory of Christ, the glory of God. And so our purpose had four parts, and we looked at two of them last week, and we're going to look at the following two today, and then we're going to summarize and put them all together. But this is our purpose. Our purpose is to reach people with the gospel message of Christ to equip believers, to grow in their faith, to minister together, to glorify God with our lives. When you look around this room and you ask yourself, why does Goodland Bible Church exist? This is why. However, I will be very blunt. We are not very good at our purpose. And so over this next month, uh, you are going. This is why I asked Jeremy to say 
And we want to make sure everybody comes to the annual meeting because we are going to tackle these issues head on. We are going to facilitate as a body of believers how you can fulfill your purpose as a believer and fulfill the purpose of the church in the meantime. And so as we begin to break this apart, as we begin to understand what's going on, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the privilege that it is to bow our heads before you today. A great and awesome God who has promised that the gates of hell cannot even prevail against the church. Yet as we look around the culture that we live in, we recognize that those who seemingly have large crowds many times are are not prevailing either. And those of us who have small crowds, we uh, sometimes fear in the corner. I pray that this would not be true of Goodland Bible Church. I pray that we would be passionate, that we would be bold in fulfilling our purpose, that we would be reaching out to evangelize Goodland, to evangelize the surrounding area, to evangelize the rest of the world. I thank you for our missionaries who are helping us fulfill that. But I pray for us, we are not doing our job as believers. And I pray that we would start doing it. Lord, I also pray for the opportunity to equip and to minister together. As we look at ministry today, I pray that you would help us to understand how we ought to do that. And then, Lord, we recognize that these three things are all done for the chief purpose, our chief goal, and that is to give you glory. I pray that you would give us an understanding of your word as we bounce around at some today. I pray that this would be a challenge for us to begin the process of studying these passages in their context, that we would understand what's being said, that we would apply it to our hearts, to our lives, that we as believers would fulfill the purpose that we must. And in the process, we recognize the church will fulfill its. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your bride. We thank you for the church. But as we think of these things, we want to be found faithful as that bride. Help us, teach us, guide us, and direct us in all these things. Lord, we love you again. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we begin by looking at three aspects. The first is, what does it mean to stir each other up? What an amazing statement here in Hebrews chapter 10. And oftentimes we look at verse 25 and we say, well, we ought not to forsake the assembly of our, uh, together, the assembly of ourselves together with one another. And so we begin to look at verse 25, but we forget verse 24. Verse 24 tells us what we ought to do when we assemble together. And so we must recognize what it means to stir each other up, Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at our chief purpose. What is our chief purpose? We ought to know it is to glorify God. Everything that was done, the entire time scale of God's creation was all done so that the glory that belongs to Him might be given to Him. And so in light of that, we recognize that you and I as believers must lead the charge, must lead the way. And so we're going to look at our chief purpose. Then we're going to spend a little bit of time just putting it all together. Just putting it all together. Just This is a summary. We're going to deal with a few passages, but the idea of this last point is to say, okay, What does it mean to evangelize? What does that look like? What does it mean to equip? What does that look like? What does it mean to minister together? What does that look like? And more important than all of those is what does it mean to glorify God? So, as we understand our purpose, my question to you is, God has told us through His Son Christ, through the writer Matthew, the apostle, that we as a church will prevail against the gates of hell. We believe that to be so, reluctantly, but we believe that to be so this morning. And if we believe that to be so, let me ask you this. If God 
reveals that that is for His glory. And He reveals us the steps to do so. That should become part of your heart. That should become part of your lifeblood. Are you willing to allow it to do that? If you're not, you will be left on the wayside as an individual, as well as a church. If so, then you will see God faithfully and abundantly fulfill His intentions in us. That is a choice you get to make. And that is a choice we must make as a church. And so we began this morning by looking as to what it means to stir each other up. What does this mean? And in order to do this, we do have to spend some time in the context of Hebrews chapter 10. So look at verses 19 through 21. The scripture says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. I want to stop there for just a little bit because I want you to notice our motivation. What is it that drives us? What is it that motivates us to stir each other up? Is it because you like so-and-so? No, it is not. And the writer of Hebrews is very clear. It has nothing to do with those who sit in the pew beside you or behind you or in front of you. It has nothing to do with the Christian that you meet on the street. It has everything to do with who it is that caused us to be transformed from the old way to the new way. And so he begins with our motivation, and the argument is impeccable. Because we can enter into the holy places because of the blood of Christ. As a believer, are you thankful that you can go into the holy of holies? You couldn't in the Old Testament, only the priest could. And yet because of Christ, you can go right to the throne of God. You can bring your petition right to God Himself. What an amazing thing. And this is unique. This is unique to those who truly believe in the Word of God. Those who truly have come to know Christ as Savior. Because we can enter into the holy places because of the blood of Christ. But second, because He has opened a new and living way. No longer are you stuck in the old way. No longer are you subject to sin. In the Old Testament, you didn't have the Holy Spirit come in and stay there. And so you were stuck. You had to continually bring sacrifices and slay. Can you imagine the lifestyle of the average Jewish person in Israel who was faithful to the Word of God, but every time they sinned, they were bringing another offering? I don't know about you, but most of us would probably be very poor. We wouldn't have enough offerings to bring because of our sin. As a Christian, are you thankful because He has opened a new and living way? As a Christian, are you thankful because we have a great high priest? You know what? I'm not a priest. We don't need an earthly priest. We have a great high priest. We have one that we can bring our petitions to, we can bring our, our sin before, and He is the one who forgives us. He is the one who has endured like we have endured. He is the one who understands what we are going through. He is the one who will take our petitions and take them to the Father. And because of that, you have unhindered access. Let me ask you this. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But let me ask you this. Is that how you pray? Or do you pray as if we have some wall here between us and God and we hope we can jump it? Or do you pray that you know you have direct access to the Holy of Holies, to the, to the Father, bringing your sin before Him, bringing, 
bringing your struggles to Him, knowing that the Creator of the universe is ready to pick up an answer. Or it's, maybe it's more like an email. You send an email, and you just hope it gets answered. I think we pray like that a lot, even as evangelical Christians. We send this email, and we're like, you know what, after I sent that, I wish I would have put on that they would have marked that they had seen it. You ever send an email where you wish you would just know if they read it? Because Maybe they just deleted it. See, we pray like that sometimes, don't we? Like, man, I'm going to send this off to God, and I, I hope he answers. No, that's not how we pray. That's absurd. We pray because we can enter into the holy holies. We pray in that way because Christ has opened a new and living way. We pray that way because we have a great high priest, one who is the mediator between you and God. And he's not earthly. And he doesn't wear a white collar. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer states three reasons why we should be motivated to respond. The results of the gospel are largely spelled out in these three statements. Did you notice that? The gospel is clearly here in these three statements. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is asking you, he's asking you, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to this? If you are not motivated to action, then something is wrong. They are significant and vitally important to the life and the motivation of the Christian. Now, we could be motivated by music, agenda, feelings, emotions, charismatic leaders, and on and on and on. The writer of Hebrews says that is not our motivation. Charismatic leaders, by the way, have you noticed that most of them fail? Let me rephrase that. All of them fail? Most of them becomes public? Have you also noticed that music's not always the way you like it? How many times do you skip a song? How many of you like Pandora? Like three of us. Four of us. Okay, you know what drives me nuts? For those of you who don't know what Pandora is, Pandora is at radio. And then it plays uh, for you over the radio or over the internet. And you could choose your style of what you want to listen to. My problem with Pandora is I click, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like until I can't click it anymore. And then I shut it off, wait for an hour, and I come back and click it, click it, click it, because I, I like only certain music. But not everybody likes that style of music. So music's going to fail. What about agendas? They're going to fail. What about feelings? Have you ever had a feeling let you down? What about emotions? You're like, I'm so passionate about this, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I had no value at all. That is not our motivation because those are all temporal things. What is our motivation? The writer of Hebrews says is because uh, we have the ability to enter into the Holy of Holies, we have a new and living way, and we have a great high priest. Those things are not temporal. Those things are eternal. Nothing can remove those things. Our motivation to reach the lost, to make disciples, to stir each other up, to give glory to God is by the transformation of what was to what is in the life of the believer. So what ought to be our response? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us three of them. There are directions. Verses 22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 
not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we have some directions. There are three let us statements. Whenever you see those, those phrases, you should recognize, okay, here we have an imperative, we have a command, we have a direction. Let us, let us, let us. There are three of them. The first is let us draw near with a sincere heart. What a wonderful reality that has been opened to us. To draw near to the great high priest with a sincere heart. One who knows everything there is to know. See, you can, con- you can conceal something from an earthly priest. They have no idea. But you can't conceal it from a high priest, a great high priest. He knows already. Come before him in a sincere heart. And what a joy there is as a Christian. Second, I'm not, I'm not dealing with these, by the way. This has nothing to do with my sermon. It does because of context, but that's about it. Second, let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. We are given, as believers, the only hope. The only hope which will deliver. Everybody else says, I do too. The reality is it may not. Others may say, I, I, hope, I hope that the sun comes up tomorrow. I do too, to a point. I'm ready to go. But uh, at the same time, I mean, I hope the sun just doesn't disappear. For the believer, you have the only hope that is guaranteed to deliver. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. We should never let go of our faith. We have no reason. What reason is there to follow the fairy tales of the world? Absurd. Third, let us, and this is the one we're going to spend some time on. Let us consider how to stir up one another. In response to our great high priest, in response to unhindered access to the King of kings and Lord of lords, in response to a new and living way removed from the old and dying way, brought into the new way, We ought to use that access in prayer. Invest in in practicing holding fast to the confession of our faith, which is done only when we make it known, by the way, which is evangelism. And we ought to respond by stirring each other up. It is completely and unbiblical. And counter our purpose to come to church on Sunday to be taught. You just had the one teaching you say that to you. It is completely unbiblical. And it is completely contrary to our purpose to come to church on Sunday and be taught. To sing some songs and to return to the world. Your job is not done. You insulted the name of the Lord. You disgraced your fellow believer. And worse, you undermined your path to maturity by doing just that. See, but I showed up to church. I sang the songs with everybody else. I sat quietly while you preached. I may have snoozed half the time, but I sat quietly while you preached. I didn't snore too loud. You know what? That's all, that's all fine. Except, that's not what you're here for. If that's why you're here, you're missing the boat and you're forsaking your own path to maturity. 
So what does it mean? Let's look at this command. What is the command to minister? What does it mean? Let's get to the heart of the issue now. Verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first important word is the word consider. This word speaks of attentive, continuous care. You're going to consider. This exhortation is to take careful note of another's spiritual welfare. In other words, when you get out of your car, and you start walking up the sidewalk, you're already looking for ways to minister to somebody else. When you happen to bump into each other at Walmart, you, at that moment, click it on and say, how am I going to minister to this believer? What can I do to encourage their spiritual welfare today? As a Christian, you engage each other in a manner on Sunday. And that should be the same way on Tuesday at Walmart. should be the same way on Thursday at Bible study. Whatever it is, in such a way as to focus, as, as to take the focus off of you and to put it on them. We all, and don't dare tell me because I know better, because I have the same problem. We come to church looking for what's going to help us, not for how we can help someone else. Now, many times that may not be the case, but most of the time it is. We come to church saying, what can I get out of it? You know what? You're going to get out of it as much as you invest in it. And if you come and just hear the message, that's all you're going to get. If you come to minister, you're going to be ministered to. When was the last time that your conversation entailed more than work, weather, or your recent ailments? When was the last time that your conversation with believers involved how they truly hurt? How they truly were struggling? Or what the Lord is presently teaching them? Celebrate in the celebration. Grieve in the grief. Agonize in the agony with them. If your conversations are only about the weather, are you considering how to minister to them? Are you pushing them to love and good deeds? See, there's a motivation. We have our motivation because it's Christ. It's not them, it's Christ. That's our motivation. Our motivation is Christ. Our response is to minister to this other person. And our motive to do so is to push them to love and good deeds. Talking about the weather might push them to love and good deeds, but I kind of doubt it. You're not getting to the heart of the issue. You're not getting to the real struggle. As with no other organization on the planet, this should be the place for that kind of ministry. And what I mean by that is the church is a living organism, and it does not exist in this building. It happens to be here this morning, but it could just as easily be out in the parking lot or out at Walmart or in someone's home. See, the church exists where you are as a believer. Second key word, what does it mean to stir up? Or some of your translations say stir, some say stimulate, or another says provoke. All of those are good words. What does it mean to stir up or to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? The word for stimulate or stir or provoke means to push, to motivate, to to pursue, to continue to provoke them, push them on. Now, it can be negative. I mean, we see this in children. We see a, a provoking in children. Sometimes we see it in adults provoking each other. But the idea, and that's in the negative sense, the idea is as a Christian, you're provoking them to love and good deeds. 
You're moving them there so that when they're done with their conversation with you, they're motivated to serve the Lord. That's what we ought to do. The word for stimulate means to to cause them, to move them towards love and good deeds. Vincent says the new economy, that is the church age, this dispensation we live in, demands mutual care on the part of the members of the Christian community. They must stir up each other's religious affections and ministries. When was the last time you said, you know what? I know that God has given you the opportunity to share the gospel. How is that coming? That gets to the heart of the issue quick, doesn't it? Because if there's a sin issue, they say, well, it's not so good. That's okay. When was the last time that we couldn't struggle? When was the last time we couldn't struggle as believers? By the way, life is hard. You noticed? It's difficult. It's all right to struggle as believers. We need to drop this air that everything has to be okay. So this means when a believer has struggled in life and ministry, we jump on them like a pack of wild hyenas looking for something to assume, right? No, all too often we do that, though. The body of Christ say, See? They're not any better than me. And while that may be a subconscious thought and never come out your lips, that's what's going on. When you jump on them for their struggles, for their heartache, for whatever they're going through, you're jumping on them like a pack of wild hyenas looking for something to consume. As a body of believers faithfully ministering to each other because of Christ, we are considering ways to encourage and support, to stimulate each other, to press on, to remain faithful in the right work of Christ. When you come into assembly on Sunday morning, you should be encouraged to go back out and fight against the gates of hell again. Because that's what you should be doing. If you're not doing it out there, then you're going to come in here and you're not going to need much attention. But when you're out there fighting in the heavy trenches and you're taking bullets, you're going to come back and you're going to get refreshed and renewed and ready to serve the Lord. Verse 25 gets the most attention oftentimes, but it's verse 24 that lays the foundation. Who wants to attend a body of believers that are snapping at them? No one. So, what are you doing to change the worldly attitude into a joy of fellowship for the sake of Christ? When you get out of your car on Sunday morning, are you ready to minister to somebody in the church? Now, one of the things I praise the Lord for. By the way, a lot of what I'm saying is universal to the church in our country. So, I'm not directly pointing out to us. We have our weaknesses, don't get me wrong. We're going to address those weaknesses. We we can't cover them. We need to address them. But when we come in and we're just looking to absorb what we can absorb, that's not right. We're not a sponge. We have to exert back out. So, what are you doing? To change the worldly attitude that has surrounded you all week. To come into the fellowship with joy for the sake of Christ. The first step, the writer of Hebrews says, is faithful attendance. Notice what he says, verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first step is attendance. You need the body of believers, and they need you. Simple as that. Not saying anything that involves rocket science. You need the body of believers, and they need you not to just show up, but to consider ways to stir you up and to encourage one another. Because attendance is one thing, but the very next command is encourage one another. So there's two steps. One, show up. Two, 
encourage one another. Join in the assembly. Be there to encourage one another. If you're coming to be encouraged, that's the wrong motivation. You are to be here to be an encourager. And in the process, you will receive encouragement beyond anything you could have imagined. That's how the body works. That's how the body works. But we have westernized it. We have turned it into our own concept. We have tried to make it fit our culture. You know what? The church is countercultural. And it ought to be that way. We ought to consider how to think of someone else instead of our own. Wherever we got this idea that all should be fine in our lives all the time, we need to forget it. Guess what? Life stinks. Sometimes it does. We need to be honest with it. We need to be encouraging one another. The place you need to be is here. The people we need to care for and support are here. And they will stir us up in the process. Stir us up to love and good deeds because of what Christ did. What an amazing thing. Because of Christ, that is our motivation. But then Christ uses the very people we minister to to minister to us in the process. And when that works together, you have a body that cannot be separated, that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Now let's move to our chief purpose. We're going to run through this kind of quickly just because of time. That not, was not my desire at all. But let's start in Romans chapter 11. We've been here already. Looked at it not very long ago. So it's a good place for us to start. As we recognize that the glory belongs to the Lord. Romans 11, verse 36. Romans 11, verse 36. The Scripture says this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, Paul has just moved through this incredible statement regarding Israel's purpose and what Israel is going to do and how the church and Israel fit together but are not the same. And Paul reveals the exact timeline of all of this stuff. As a body of believers, we need to understand that God's timetable and God's perfect plan produced their intended and designed results. And His intended and designed results are that the glory belongs to Him. And so if we know that everything flows that way, if you know that everything is going to give glory to God, if you know that God is going to receive all of the glory, you know what the direction is going. And if you know what the direction is going, stop fighting it. Stop fighting it. The world is constantly at odds with it. They're constantly trying to break it apart. What they don't understand is what we're going to look at in a moment in Philippians. But as a believer, you must be leading the charge. Let's give glory to God. Let's ascribe to Him what belongs to Him. Everything that happens is for the glory of God and it will achieve its intended purpose. As a purpose for the body of Christ. As a purpose for the body of Goodland Bible Church. We understand that the word preached, the stirring up of each other, the gospel shared, the discipleship that takes place is all for the purpose of giving glory to our great God. That is our motivation. That is our uh, indication that we are doing what is right. If it is not for the glory of God, then we ought not be doing it. Whatever it happens to be. If you minister to make you feel better, 
you need to stop. Shut it off right now. If you minister only for the accolades that you receive, knock it off. That is wrong. If you minister out of a broken heart, the love of the Lord and the glory of God, praise God. We do not need the kind of minister who's only looking out for themselves. We need the kind that in all they do, all they say, all they practice, it is for, the, for God's glory, not their own. What about the inevitable conclusion? The inevitable conclusion, Philippians chapter 2. This is what, as a Christian, we need to understand. Turn to Philippians chapter uh, 2 real quick with me. We know this. This is a familiar verse as well. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. We look, usually look at the kenosis passage, which is just prior to this, uh, verses 6 and 7 and so forth. But verse 11 says this, after having recognized that Christ became man, that he humbled himself, came to earth, uh, taking on the form of a bondservant, that, that whole paragraph ends with this statement, verse 11, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know why Christ did what he did? To bring glory to God. In other words, salvation was not all he was about. His purpose was grander than that, to bring glory to himself as a member of the deity. But not only that, look at the verse just prior to that. Actually, let's look, two verses, verse 9 and 10. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day... Every person who was ever created will bow the knee and glorify God. That is the inevitable conclusion. That is where this river ends. That is where the current will stop. Because of that. Because of that. We have a very clear direction. Everything and everyone will give glory. To the Lord. All who deny Him, all who mock His name now, all who rebel against Him today will confess Him as Lord and give Him glory. Do you know what makes me sick? That believers don't act any different than unbelievers. And we are the ones who ought to be bowing the knee now. Giving glory to Him now. I don't want to be forced to my knees. I don't want to be forced. I want to fall. I want to give it up immediately. And I want to do that now. I don't want to wait for that. I want to do that now. And I hope you have the same heart. So we recognize glory belongs to Him. We recognize the inevitable conclusion. What are we going to do about it now? What is our role? What are we going to do? In giving him glory. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. As a Christian, the instruction is clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Please, by all means, study the context of this. You will gain a lot more understanding if you do. 
I don't have the time, um, but you need to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Whatever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I love the way that Paul just picks out the most things. He says, you've got to eat, you've got to drink. Are you doing that for the glory of God? Boy, all of a sudden, that changes a lot in our culture, doesn't it? How many things do we just do that are monotonous, that are mundane, that we don't even think about? Paul says at that very moment, when that spoon has gone into the soup and it's coming up to your mouth, are you giving the glory to God? From the mundane to the extreme, everything we do, we do to the glory of the Lord. By the way, the word glory is used 166 times in the New Testament in 147 verses. Nearly all of those verses refer to the glory we ought to give to the Lord. Nearly every single one of them. If God told you something 147 times, are you going to listen to it? We ought to. We ought to. Our chief purpose is to do everything we do, whether it's brushing our teeth in the morning, or whether it's evangelizing on the street, or whether it's ministering to the saint in the church. It's all for the glory of God. That is our motivation. That is why we do what we do. And I don't care if you're the preacher standing here, the song leader standing there, the person sitting out there. It does not matter. Your responsibility Glorify God. Let's put it all together. As as we get ready to do that, I I want to make one more statement in regards to glorifying God. Our great God deserves and will receive nothing less than the glory that is His alone. The great privilege is He gave you the opportunity to ascribe it to Him. He's going to get it. Whether you give it to Him or not, He's going to get it. The privilege is that you have the chance to ascribe it to Him. As finite creatures, we can't even begin. You say, well, I understand that. No. When you truly dwell on just that one statement, you can't even begin to fathom what it means to glorify God. What it means for an infinite God to receive the worship and the glory of a finite creature who's sinful, that He paid the price for, that He allowed to have salvation, that He paid everything for And yet that one is giving him the glory. What an amazing thing. That should motivate our hearts. Should motivate our lives to change everything we do. Let's put it all together. I've got like three minutes. I'm going to take a little longer than that if you'll permit me. Reaching out. That's our first in the four objectives of our purpose is to reach out. As a Christian in Goodland Bible Church, you are the one who must share the gospel. If I go out to the streets, and I shared another statistic that is very similar to this, uh, which I'll share again in just a few moments. But this statistic was done by the IFCA. If I go out and share the gospel, I will see 6% come to know Christ as Savior. Uh, in the entire ministry of the church. So if I go out, 6% of all of those who are saved because of the ministry of Goodland Bible Church will have been influenced by me. 
If you go out and you share the gospel with your friends, guess what? 86% will come to know Christ as Savior. Because you're out there sharing the gospel with your friends, doing the uncomfortable, awkward thing, and sharing the gospel. 86% will respond to that over me coming and talking to them. Our job, and I want to be very clear with this, and I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. Hopefully you'll understand by the time I'm done. Our job is not to transform culture. It's not. Our job is not to stop abortion. It's not to stop homosexual marriage. It's not to stop uh, whatever lifestyle may come up next. It's not to stop uh, drinking. It's not to stop those things. Our job is to transform the heart. You see, culture will come along if you transform the heart. If you're all worried about culture, you're going to miss it because you're not attacking their foundation. You need to get to the heart, share the gospel. Do you believe Christ in Matthew's gospel? I just preached that whole sermon and you still... Do you believe Christ in Matthew's Gospel? Yes. When he promises to the church that the church, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. This requires offense. We are not huddled in the corner waiting for the axe to fall. We are storming the gates and Satan is working overtime to maintain as much control as he possibly can. Is that how you're sharing the gospel? Is that how you're reaching the streets of Goodland? I'm going to confess something. That's not how I've been doing it. But that's going to change. It has to change. Because I'm not doing it for the glory of God. If I recognize what Christ said in Matthew's gospel, and I recognize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I can do nothing short of storming the gates of hell the gospel message of Jesus Christ. An IFCA church planner reminds us, businesses use people to make things. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that's what business is for. The power of the church is not in its possessions or its prestige, but in the maturity of its people. And he adds, C.S. Lewis, who said, kingdoms rise and fall, nations come and go, businesses flourish and fail, only people are forever. Guess what the product of the church is? People. We don't produce things. We produce people. If you are not producing people as a local body of of believers, you are not healthy. If you are not procreating and new believers, you are not healthy. That is what we must be about. One day, every face you see on the street will be one of two things. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. A miserable wretch in hell or a glorious saint in the presence of God. One of two. You know what? You may be the one who stops in front of them and transforms a miserable wretch in the depths of hell to a glorious saint in the presence of our great and glorious God. Reaching out. Building up. You are commanded as a believer to make disciples. Remember Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20? Go therefore and make disciples. Do you make disciples out of one that's already been made? No. 
You go out and you find the unbeliever, the one who doesn't know Christ as Savior. You share the gospel with them. You continue to pester them. And yes, I said pester them until they come to know Christ as Savior. Do it in a way that is glorifying to God. But when they come to know Christ as Savior, then you take that fledgling believer and you make a disciple. After they've come to be a disciple now, they've come to know Christ as Savior, now they're a disciple. Now, disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. I got that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what do you do with that believer? You Christ as Savior, that they follow the Lord and the ordinances of the church. And then, and then... You teach them. You teach them what Christ said. You grow them up. Your job's not done when they come to know Christ as Savior. Your job's just started. And you need the church help to do that. When they come to know Christ as Savior, you teach them what Christ taught. You teach them to live within the church. You teach them to love the bride of Christ and to remain solid in the teaching of the Word of God and to practice it faithfully and forever. Building up. Stirring up. When a believer walks into this body, they are to be cared for. Pushed to godliness and faithful practice of the Word of God. They are lifted and stirred to serve the Lord using every ounce of their God-given gift to minister for the sake of Christ and because of Christ. That should be our design. And reluctantly, I admit that most of the time, we don't do a good job at that. Because we are coming in looking to be ministered to ourselves instead of looking to minister to others. You change that in the body of Christ, and we will have to build a new building. It's that simple. When a believer walks in, we should be stirring them to godliness. And again, an IFCA church planner says, God did not design men made new by regeneration to grow in isolation or in duets. In other words, it's not you and your spouse. It's not you alone. You need the church. He who avoids the church, the church planner goes on to say, he who avoids the church avoids God's will and his own growth. Pretty damning statement. That's pretty rough. We must stir up. Finally, we must give glory. I was going to say give it up, but that didn't seem appropriate. (laughs) We are to give glory. When this becomes your motivation, the appeals of men shrink from sight. The stresses of the world, the pressure to conform to the world are removed and revival comes. We had a couple uh, who are our missionaries who are working actively to serve the Lord to bring revival in our country here, right here last week. I want to ask you a question. Do you really want revival? Do you really want it? If so, what's preventing it? What's preventing it? Will you focus on others in the body? Your, uh, will you focus on the message 
that you are required to share? Will you train for the sake of Christ? And will you not accept anything short of doing so for the glory of God? If you answer yes, then revival will come to Goodland. And it will start here. If you say, yes, I will do what God demands, then everything that is necessary for revival has just taken place. And all that's left to do is go do it. The pressure to conform to the world is removed because you have said, you know what? I don't care what the world says. They are in opposition to giving the glory to God. And I know one day, regardless of their opposition, they will bow the knee. And so before I'm caught up in that tide, I want to be down the river. And I want to be doing it already. And because of that, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. And I'm going to do what I ought to do. And I'm going to fulfill the faithful ministry of the church. And do so through the local ministry of Goodland Bible Church. More important than music. More important than agendas. More important than work, play, or rest. We ought to give glory to the Lord in all that we do. This means that we obey the commands we saw last week. To reach out. To build up. This means that we also obey the commands that we have seen this week. To be makers Uh, or to be ministers, rather, to each other. To faithfully lift up one who is down, discouraged, beaten up. We don't pounce on them like a bunch of wolves. We don't shred them to pieces for their failures. We build them up in Christ. We push them to love and good deeds. We draw them just because of our conversation to the Lord. So we are to be witnesses. The command was not to be an evangelist. The command was to be a witness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says you are witnesses. That means you don't have to have the gift of evangelism. In fact, I'm going to redefine that for you in a few weeks, what it means to be an evangelist. Most people are not an evangelist. But everyone is a witness. Every single one. And the message that you share is what Christ did for you. Everyone is a disciple maker. You can bump someone closer to Christ. You may not be able to complete that task. I'm amazed at how many people it takes to disciple one person. In the discipleship that's taken place in our church, I look at five, six, seven people who have all been involved in discipling one person, and I praise God because that is ministry in the body. And I praise the Lord for it. And then everything we do, I don't care if it's hitting the lock button on your car, brushing your teeth, putting on your clothes, going to work. Do it all for the glory of God. If you can say, you know what, what I'm doing probably shouldn't, it probably isn't really bringing glory to God. Probably shouldn't do it. That's not giving glory to Him. Do all that you can for the glory of God. Here's what's going to happen over the next two weeks. I'm going to take off a week with my family. And then we're going to come back on the 20th. And we're going to look at our vision. We're going to say, what is it that we are going to do to fulfill our purpose? What is it that we're going to do to accomplish what God wants us to do? And then, in the annual meeting, we are going to expand that. Everyone must participate. 
everyone, whether member or attender, must be there. I told Travis and Colleen yesterday in my, <clears throat> excuse me, in my office, I said this church will not be the same this time next year. If we stay the course that we're going, there will be radical changes that happen to this body. If we decide to obey the Lord in the purpose, there will be radical changes to this body. We will not be the same this time next year. The question is, are we going to follow the river? Or are we going to stop? Say we just want to exist. In my mind, that is unacceptable. We cannot. Every church faces one generation from extinction. Does not matter. This church could be as closed tomorrow as it is open today. Every church, every Sunday, faces the possibility that in one generation, the church will be extinct. My question is, do we want to do something about it? Are we ready to take that by the horns and say, you know what? We're going to jump into this full force. We're going to be found faithful to the Lord. We're going to fulfill his purposes, and we're going to do it all for the glory of our great God. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we begin a new year, new challenges, new opportunities, and we know that there will be change. As we look out at the world around us, we recognize that uh, we are not impacting Goodland. I praise you for the foundation that has been built. Lord, I, I love each one here. I appreciate their ministry to me, and I appreciate the opportunity to minister to them. But as we recognize what is going on, we recognize that our time of healing is now over, that it's time to uh, be saturating our community for the sake of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that it's time for us to jump off the, the diving board, as it were, and to begin to make disciples, to uh, teach them the gospel, to train them in the things of Christ. And then it's time for us to minister among each other, to build each other up, to push each other in love and good deeds that we might glorify your name. Lord, we desire to glorify your name. We desire to be found faithful and obedient. Show us what that looks like. Help us over the next couple weeks to glorify your name and all that we do and say. And then as we prepare to embark on some of these incredible opportunities, I pray that every single soul will be involved. Every heart will be ambitious. And that this church will bring revival to northwest Kansas. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you for what you have brought me through this week in order to present it. And I pray that your word would not return void. Lord, we believe your word. We believe that we will prevail against the gates of hell. And I praise you that despite what it looks like, we are on the offense, not on the defense. Lord, take us out to the streets and put us on offense. Lord, we love you. Again, for all of these things, in your son's name.